0: Welcome back to another episode of the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Eva Nahari to the program. Eva is a principal at DNX Ventures. Prior to joining DNX, she worked nine years at Cloudera, building products and go-to-market strategies and helping businesses scale, then ventured, no pun intended, into angel investing before joining DNX. We last heard from DNX Ventures following their closing on a $315 million fund, and again, to a reminder, exclusively focused on early stage B2B companies. While this VC is continuing to pave the way in the B2B startup space as they push for greater innovation, especially within the current climate that we're in, Eva is keen on AI, machine learning, and autonomous systems. She looks to invest in companies building SaaS, cloud. ML-enabled enterprise software, DevOps, et cetera. Basically, how can you revolutionize how IT is delivered to the enterprise? Eva brings a really interesting perspective and a fresh look at the current landscape of VC. I think you're gonna enjoy this interview. And as a favor, please do subscribe and tell your friends if you enjoy it. It'll help us reach more folks. Anyway, now onto the interview. Hey, good morning, Eva. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: No, it's great to have you. Member number two from DNX Ventures. So excited to to dig in. But before we do that, you've had quite the interesting journey that, that's taken you to DNX. So I wonder if you want to share with the audience just a little bit about your background and what you're doing today, and then we'll we'll dig into that journey a little bit, if you don't mind.
1: Absolutely. Where do I start? It's, <laughs> a been, <laughs> it's been a roller coaster, both sideways and up and down, I guess. Born and raised in Sweden, graduated from the Royal Institute of Technology with a master's in robotics and machine learning like a hundred years ago. I graduated right where the IT bubble crashed. So it was kind of hard to get a job. So I took what was available, not necessarily my passion in life at the time, but I joined a startup in Stockholm, 21 people or so that built the fastest Java virtual machine in the world. That was kind of exciting. A few weeks later, after I actually got my full-time employment there, after my college degree, they got acquired by an American company, BEA Systems. And that is a story in itself that I'm going to spare you. But I kind of grew with that Swedish-American startup, big company culture in an amazing way for five or six years. And then I got imported to the US, I guess, That's the story.
0: The rest is history, they say.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's how I came here, through BA Systems to California in 2006. And then I worked at BA Systems for a couple of years or so until the acquisition of Oracle or vice versa, Oracle acquired BA Systems. And then I really got to learn the corporate smooth machinery of how sales is done you know the the rock stars of sales big corporation america culture i stayed there about a year and realized i learned a lot but i realized i'm a startup person yeah so i went to azul systems a small innovative startup and i tried to grow as a product manager there i'd had many different roles in BA systems and Oracle, but it was time to kind of own the product strategy. And I, I loved it. Two years later, I had transformed their business from a hardware to a software one.
0: Interesting. Okay. What year was that? That was in what what year was it? 08, 07?
1: So I joined in 2009. Nine. Okay. And then 2011, I had a coffee in Palo Alto, in the famous cafe where, where startups are made.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Dreams are
1: made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had a coffee with a guy called Charles Zedlewski and I thought it was a partner meeting. Like we had been trying to become partners with Cloudera for a while. Oh, interesting. Okay. systems. But five minutes into that coffee, I realized it's an interview.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I ended up at Cloudera by accident and it was a fantastic team. It was like this hundred people start up behind fries in a storage room. And they were like, we moved like next door there and, and there were unicorns on the walls. There were people roller skating down the corridor. It was really <laughs> the Silicon Valley stereotype startup, you know, with random people and amazing brains and a lot of buzz and Kool-Aid going on. It was amazing. Yeah.
0: yeah were you product focused at that point in time? Mm-hmm. Okay. So
1: I jumped in. In Charles's team, we were about two or three product managers at that time, and I got half the platform in my lap. (laughs) And I had never worked with data at that point. I had only worked with Java and language and and programming and and Java virtual machines. So it was kind of a shift in my career. But it was a great learning experience, and I, I did amazing with the amazing team, and I think... I haven't regretted a day of learning in that steep learning curve of big data, Hadoop, and, and Cloudera. I'm building a startup to a great growth and global company, right? Yeah. Fast forward 10 years, you know, Cloudera went IPO and merged with our biggest competitor and shape shifted a few times along the way. And I got to work with many different talented people along the way. And I also headed up their executive advisor board. So I got to know great minds around the world leading the next wave of challenges and strategies around data. And it was a fantastic time. Then 10 years into it, I felt I've done my part. Things are working. There are great people filling the spaces. I, I've implemented my vision in the product space there. And I've learned so much. How do I, how do I make a bigger impact? How do I give this back? Right. It's an incredible once-in-a-lifetime journey. And I started thinking, you know, I even took a career coach. Like, what what is my next goal? I can be a VP of product. I can be a I thought of myself I could be a you know startup CEO at some point, but I, I felt like I don't I just don't want to build just one company. I want to help build many companies. So how do I do that? With this experience, I can help so many be successful in their journeys. So I started fantasizing, I guess, about VC one day. And then this opportunity landed in my lap to work with Q Motivala. Yep. At Previous Venture. guest on the
0: show, by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I heard. He, he had good things to say about you, Brett. So I, I just felt inspired by Q and his value set and how he approaches really partnering with startups and entrepreneurs and how he and the team has built out this platform to to help pre seed, seed, seed plus startups really accelerate through their Series A and even beyond to Series B, and that's my passion. Yeah, build that startup on a successful way forward, and I just hands down, you know, I have to try this. I have to do this. So I joined the team in January.
0: That's awesome. So yeah, still relatively new. And, you know, that's one of the things and one of the biggest reasons that why I wanted to have you on the, the podcast was, was that journey, right? Because I tend to bring on folks, we've had some folks from VC, but they never really came from the operations role and or they operators. It just, your journey, I think, gave you such a really good perspective. I'm sure there was good times and bad times. So growth journeys. <laughs> Yeah, tell me
1: about it. <laughs>
0: and, you know, the other thing I, what I love about DNX is, you know, the focus on the B2B space, because I truly believe there is so much opportunity within this world as things are going digital. And we, we have a lot of operators turned entrepreneurs and, you know, the, just that guidance that, what you guys are providing, I think, is essential. And there's really a lot of good ideas out there that just have trouble getting across those thresholds probably be more because of, of execution. So that's awesome. And 10 years, I didn't realize you were at Cloudera for 10 years, but that's that's an eternity in the startup world. So
1: yeah, it's, it's an eternity in Silicon Valley too. It's actually nine years to be exact for any accuracy people out there. But yeah, I, I refer to this almost a decade. It's nine years, but it's a long time. And I saw it all. It, and people ask me why I stayed. And it's because it was different companies. The company kept on shape-shifting. And suddenly there were new people, new new challenges to overcome. And I just fell in love with every stage of it.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. And I too, I mean, you mentioned when you started, it was a hundred people. I mean, wh- how many people were there when you you exited? I can, I, I should have done a little homework to find out.
1: Right? <laughs> <I actually laughs> a few more know. than what that was, right? <laughs> I, I knew at one point at, at IPO, we were around 4,000 people, but then you know, then I stopped keeping track.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you also had a little stint, which you didn't touch doing some angel investing that, you know, probably got you a little more excited about the, the overall opportunity within- You know, the-
1: I have to correct that. Wait, it wasn't at IPO. It was when we merged. Then we became 4,000 people. Sorry. Oh,
0: gotcha. No, that's okay. No, I just blame it on me. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I throw off all the time. So- Yeah, then then you did a little bit of angel investing, right? And is that Mm -hmm. how was that kind of the next step that said, "Hey, I want to do something bigger, broader"? You know, what was what drew you to to VC out of angel? I'm just kind of curious.
1: Yeah, so I I took this career coach when I found myself in this path choosing like what am i going to do with this tremendous experience and what am i going to challenge myself next with you know what i i've always had a guide inside do do next what i'm a little bit afraid of doing and that has guided me well on my career path and i didn't feel afraid becoming vp of product somewhere that wasn't the right thing for me so I, i'm like what am i a little bit like what is it that i feel that i can't do rather than what I can do. And the career coach helped me understand that there are other paths to than the straightforward one of like director, senior director, MVP. You can, you can choose to become something else with your platform that you already built. And I think, I think she told me to find a hobby. Like I felt happy at Cloudera. I had a great manager, Joydeep Das, that I, that, that I continued learning from. You know, I wasn't unhappy at all. But she encouraged me to like explore something new that makes you feel like you thrive. And I ended up being this startup mentor through Nordic Innovation House in Palo Alto. And that was fueling. It was so inspiring to meet these young startups, you know, various experienced entrepreneurs and just see where they are at and, and pull from my experience. Like what did Caldera or the previous startups that I worked at, what did they do at this shifting point? Or what? what is a better go-to-market strategy in this case when when the domain is slightly narrower? Or or what is the actual product? These guys and gals have created some fantastic technology, but they don't know what a product is. And I could help them. And it felt really amazing. And through that, I got involved and connected with a bunch of angel ne- networks and and angel investors through networking events at the time. and And I just picked the guy that was really clever. Smart
0: up move always.
1: <laughs> yeah. George Williams owe him a lot for my path and, and growth and angel investment. And I just hooked him at an at event and like, Hey, I want to have lunches with you and learn angel investment. And he looked shocked, you know, this very sophisticated elderly lawyer turned out to be. And he's like, sure, <laughs> whatever <laughs> I can do. And he gave me like tips on books to read and, and how to think. And, and he actually helped me with my first angel investments that I did, I, I've invested in three companies so far myself, and and he invited me to Berkeley Angel Network, and, you know, it was just, I took a shot, and I liked it, and I, I grew with it, and I had good mentors.
0: Yeah, and I think that's such good advice, even we even got, we haven't even got to the good part yet, that's still, you know, <laughs> of, of what you're working on today, but, you know, it is good, use mentors, right, there's folks out there that can can help, and, you know, take the help when you don't know the answer, and, you know, I'm a huge fan of taking the, the path less traveled, right? And, you know, my career bounced between corporate and startup and corporate and startup and corporate, you know, at a time it, it served its purpose. I look back and I learned a lot, you know, a lot of things that worked, a lot of things that didn't work, but for me, the path to maybe a little more uncertainty, right? Not knowing where it's going energizes me more so I I, I 100% get where you're coming from you know kind of with that path so that's awesome
1: yeah when we when we talked earlier your journey is really inspiring too you should have a podcast with yourself someday I don't
0: know if we have enough time to get through that entire journey but yeah I think you know there's for some folks it's the corporate role for 35 years you retire it's good but Man, that's just—it sounds like neither one of us were kind of cut out for for that path. <laughs> so, so now DNX, you started in January. You know, why don't you you know, kind of share with us initially what you know? What do you? What's your role going to be? What are you looking to do? And then I'd really love to get your perspective on you know what you're seeing for 2021. I mean, there's a bunch of paths we can go. So, you know, I'd love to just get what's your hey? I'm, I'm now at DNX. I'm get to start to work with these startups. You know where? What's first for you? What are you working on? I guess we're now past January, but just kind of curious what you, what you're off and running with.
1: I think my conversations with Q in November, December, even then, I started forming my thesis based on everything I have a pulse on from the SaaS cloud B two B ML or or enterprise infra. You know that that I've been working on from for the last fifteen years plus. You know. I have conversations with my friends from the executive advisory board and I, I have a feeling where, where things are going. And in my conversations with Q, I kind of started shaping that thesis of what are the most urgent needs in this space right now and for the next five, five to 10 years, right? So I came in with a thesis and the good thing about DNX is that they're a perfect fit for my experience and also my values. So it was a very easy decision once I've gotten to know the team. And there are five partners in at DNX. It's it's a fairly neat firm. And all partners come with something amazing to the table. So that felt really good. And they're very transparent. They're very equal opportunity and uh, respecting everybody's opinion. You know, it's not like some, some horror stories might... Might have spread around other Silicon Valley cultures, but this was like a diverse team all about the customer and customer customer led success for entrepreneurs and really respecting the entrepreneurs goals and wishes. and they are the experts building something great. So we're there to support them and partner with them and bring out the best <laughs> to to assure their success. It was just this whole value set that I I so feel aligned with it. It's my own DNA, like you respect other people. Everybody brings something to the table and then it's built on, on customer success and you know, surrounding yourself with a great network. You, you talked about mentors. It's not just about the sales, right? It's, it's about having advisors and, and good thought leadership input in the process. And I think DNX has surrounded itself with a lot of those. Valuable connections.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And I mean, because one thing I was going to add, just the fact that they were able to close, you can correct me on my math, that like $341 million fund in the middle of a pandemic. Means that, one, the investors saw the opportunity, but also believed in the company and the people, right? You're not going to close that type of money just based on a business transaction. So I thought that was unbelievable.
1: So the, the fund, yeah, the fund you're talking about is fund-free. It's it's going to be focused on cloud ML, enterprise infra, and DNX is focused mainly on B2B and SaaS companies. It's $315 million fund, and it's about one year in. So we're very active looking for seed and Series A and anything in between. Personally, I I think I can contribute most building that seed plus stage, I think, to really accelerate the hitting the milestones that you need to get through before you're really ready for Series A. I think that's my experience and my golden sweet spot is like the hiring, building the right organization, how to increase the ARR, how to bring a company from maybe 10 customers to 100 customers, right? Or how do you go through governance processes? What do you need to to build out enterprise sales? You know, I, I've done that in some form, not personally, but I've been part of it in different forms. And I think I can help accelerate so you get a higher valuation at Series A and that's kind of DNX sweet spot.
0: And, and I don't mean to stop you, but I would love if we could spend just a couple minutes in there because the the majority of the, the audience are people thinking about starting a business or in the early stages stages of a B2B business and we talk a lot about that, breaking through that threshold, right? And, and what I found was the vast majority, almost to a person, I've talked to founders and we, we talk about it in two, kind of, one's the million dollar mark and the next one's the, the 10 million mark, then up to hundred and you've got experience in all those areas. But what I found through interviews and research and, and talking to folks that almost every company gets stalled when the founders have to sell beyond their network, right? Either they figure it out through trial and error, right? Or I think somebody like DNX can help them accelerate through, not learn from some of the past mistakes, but. You know, I, we could probably almost do a full episode on some of the the things you need <laughs> to do, but maybe you could just unpack a, a few things. Or what are some of the key things a founder needs to think about as they're starting to try to scale that business? Is there you know one or two or three key things that you've seen time over time, or you'd recommend? If that makes sense. I gave you a lot there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, let's let's dissect that in a whole other episode, I think. But I think even if you have a SaaS machine, right? That the, let's say the the end goal is to have a product-led sales, you know, very, very thin sales organization. Users come to the website, website leads to freemium, freemium leads to paid, or, you know, you you really fine tweaked all that into the product. That That's like the, the mindset over the last three or four years in, in product management trends in in growth companies in, in Silicon Valley. And, and if you're not familiar, you should read up on that. But as a listener. <laughs> but but I think even though the companies are changing, that's coming out as a modern tech company, I think there's a lot to be said for traditional companies not shifting as quickly. And there's still, you need to have someone to walk through procurement processes. You need to provide the right compliance checkboxes. You need to be able to have people on your side to talk to people on their side. And some of these Enterprise customers expect a relationship. They need someone to call, or as some other people would say, a throat to choke, yeah, you know. Right, yeah. and, and they need to have a clear way on how when their ship is burning, how they can escalate all the way up to the CEO. And it's not like, yeah, you can call me directly. It's it's more like they they want the right level people to talk to the right level people and preferably avoid that escalation, but it's a process that you need to match and it's hard to do that without a proper enterprise sales organization that has experience managing such relationships and negotiating the bigger deals and it's a it is a heavier sales process than the product led amazing thing that's growing right now it's beyond getting into the account it's it's actually closing the deal checking all the boxes and also helping the customer successful after that, you need a whole customer success organization beyond serving an individual here and there. Now you're serving a whole, maybe 10,000 people right. <laughs> in your company, right? It's it's different and you need to prepare for that. And they will have other expectations on your support capabilities.
0: Right. You know, and I think you, you brought up a really good point and something I harp on a lot is you know kind of the difference when you're scaling your company, right? So if it's mid-market, low end of the enterprise, or your price point is you know, less than 25,000, it's got to be digitally led or product led, right? You got to get the phones to ring people to come digitally to the website, and then you got to have the right people to help convert and, move that through the process. But when you're selling into the enterprise, you can't underestimate the value of good enterprise sales reps, right? Because of the complexity and the relationships and quarterbacking the deals and getting them through the process. And so what I've seen, it's too often a one size fits all. Well, I just need a hundred people to sell. I'm like, well, you're really not going after enterprise and it's going to be highly inefficient to, to take that path. Or the other way, we're just going to hit digital into the enterprise. I'm like, if you could tell your story that well digitally to get through to the buyers and sell and kudos, but, you know, I think it is finding that blend and who you're selling into. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And I think more people need to hear and understand that, that sales isn't dead, but you got to p- be selective and prioritize where you're going to put those resources, where it's going to add the most value.
1: And then, then you need pipeline confidence. You know, how do you How do you actually present the confidence in your pipeline? It's not like, oh, we have these leads. No, no, no. Like how likely is it for them to close and when and why? There's a need for experienced sales leaders to not only manage these amazing, heroic (laughs) account executives who jump on a startup, (laughs) risking their livelihood on something that, you know, often... Isn't fully baked,
0: unproven. Let's go that way <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. And then you need the leadership for these kind of specific characteristics, right? So I do often work with these early stage startups to to think about co think about their enterprise sales strategy. That's a big lesson to be learned. And I encourage modern thinking. I would love for a successful product led strategy. It it makes it lightweight, and it's a it's wonderful for VCs, you know, to not carry a big people-heavy organization. But if you're really going to win in traditional enterprise companies, you need to think about how to do that.
0: Yeah. And again, from a startup perspective, what I really like is the ability to outperform their legacy or more established peers, right? Cause they are built differently. They're structured differently. They're inefficient. They're not leveraging data, right? Their whole approach go to market is different. So it just creates a whole opportunity. If you get it right, it's a huge competitive advantage for these, these types of companies. So so maybe we'll have to have you on for part two to go deeper because I think there's a lot of other things I'd love to, to unpack with you in that, but You know, as we look at, you know, what are you, so we talked about the space that you're playing in. So from a founder perspective, you know, what are you looking for in the teams or is it a product specific you're looking for? What's kind of your you know, three or four things you're looking at potential investments in companies.
1: You mean like m- domain area or or like check boxes, whatever? Yeah,
0: you're starting to do the due diligence and sifting through. I mean, I don't even know how many companies you look at and <laughs> before you start to think about making a deal. And I know it's a lot. So is there is there certain things that you're looking for that are need to haves from either the, the founder team or the, the business itself? Or is everyone kind of unique and you balance it?
1: Yeah, and there's the sad thing Thing for it. like being a technical person myself, I, I like when things are black and white, zeros and ones, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> there's a formula and I can figure it out and I can fit into it. Like there's, I'm sad to say, this is not a scientific method. Every VC has their own method. It's a lot of overlap, of course, but some people have published it. Some people are data driven. Some people are like, it's all about the team. There's overlap with what VC's look for i can only tell what i'm looking for and it's nothing new on the map it's it's the team it's the product market fit it's the market opportunity meaning the market may be big but what part of it can you actually carve out for you where where's the sub market that actually is realistic and then customer traction of course but dnx has some formal things which is we we're looking for us based companies we're looking for b2b we're looking for companies that has customer traction majority us so that's like some dimensions we can to to help the info it's so much otherwise we ha- we have to focus somewhere so we focus where we're good and where we have expertise we have Three funds, one uh, with with previous success. Most of it is SaaS. cybersecurity, and deep emerging tech has been previous funds. And then now we've started focusing on cloud, ML, enterprise, infra as the new fund.
0: Which is right in your wheelhouse, which now I makes complete sense why you've, you've joined them, because who better to be able to represent?
1: But then within that, I'm looking for companies who, I have one part of my thesis saying a little ML goes a long way. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's like, it's this problem space where I've been the last 10 years, right? Uh, getting da- data somewhere, you know, getting it from the edge to cloud. That's one part. Right. And then maybe some data is on-prem and some in cloud. How do you organize that? And then more and more data is coming in. So you need to make it into useful data somehow. And then of course, ML is still hard for most people and data scientists is a sparse rare species. So how do you how do you stretch that knowledge as wide as possible? That's all intertwined, solving the same problem, which is how do I get value out of my data faster? And the little ml goes a long way is a space where I think it's hard. I always try to solve the hard problems because that's the most value. So the hardest problem is how do I get my data into useful form? It's still about quality and bigger and more complex ETL pipelines because data lives everywhere. Right. And it's just hard. It's easier to focus on the tooling for data scientists to do their job faster, which is one part of the problem. It's like you you make data scientists more efficient. You take away the coding part of it by providing pre-coded modules and -and drag-and-drop tools. Great. That's we've seen a sprawl of. Or like other companies bring ML to structured data. The structured data is already organized and useful. So why don't why not bring ML closer there? But that of course limits the scope of what use cases you can actually build out. Right. But it's, it's making you know, data science more efficient because you don't have to be so scientific about it. You can just apply use cases onto structured data already. But truth be told, most time. Is spent on finding data and making data into useful form, understanding it. And, it's an age and, old problem. Right? Yeah, so I I seek more innovation there. That's why I say a little ML goes a long way. Maybe maybe there's some pattern recognition on the data ingest that can just pre clean or for the most common data sources in in biosciences, you know, or in in pharma, there could be some service data as a service for that. And I think that's the next step I call it data 2.0 yeah (laughs) like domain specific pre-cleaned standardized data that you actually can do something with
0: yeah I think it may be the title for our episode a little MO goes a long (laughs) way I mean but you're so right I mean because I lived in that that enterprise world in the large mid-market and data is still one of the biggest challenges it's not actionable it's not clean you've got You know, a marketing automation database, you got a CRM, you probably Mm -hmm. got the ERP, you probably got 16 other sources that are out there and nobody gets a good look at it. And so you're taking your best shot. So one question for you, and, and maybe this is more of a pet peeve, and I've got the definition wrong, but a lot of people use ML and AI interchangeably. My understanding that ML is machine learning, the machines learning from the data and the patterns and getting smarter and smarter, but AI really doesn't exist in a true form that, that we're using in, in a business world anywhere, right? I mean, yeah. isn't that a, artificial intelligence? I mean, is it learning by itself? I would love to get a real expert. Oh,
1: you pressed my 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 academia button here. <laughs> so I hey all the listeners out there. I'm not judging what you do. I You do what you do and I do what I do okay but i stick to using ml as the concept because artificial intelligence in my mind is when there's a conscious intelligence that is program made right that's true artificial intelligence and then machine learning is a subset in the category of artificial intelligence techniques or whatever and i i the only viable applicable you know applied AI, if you will, is machine learning. That's what you can do, you know, and and neural networks. Like it's, it's right. implementation where you have some input data and there's learning and then there's an output and then you can either have unknown incoming data mapped to that model or you can have new incoming data read improve the model as you go you know that that's in a nutshell that's what it is to me yeah and i i studied machine learning and i know what it is and i programmed it you know it's it's machine learning that i talk about so don't come and talk ai to me i will smile but you know i accept that people use it for marketing it's it's fascinating it's mind tickling you know so feel free to use it for that i i don't judge but
0: but now you've given me the confidence to push back firmly that, that when you use AI in that context you're not actually AI it's more machine learning if you're actually doing it so I know I told you we go down a couple of rabbit holes but that was one <laughs> you had to answer
1: for me so yeah, thank you. For, for I, I can say you had me at ML
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it I know we're starting to run a little bit low on time so one thing that you mentioned earlier I'd love to, to circle back because you had mentioned you kind of had your thesis you know, the fall of last year, you know, has that changed pre or post pandemic? Cause you were, we really starting to formalize it during the middle and we're still in it. Has that changed over the last six months since you you've jumped in or just kind of curious what you're seeing, you know, uh, for the next, you know, for the remainder of, of 2021, what's, you know, what, I'd love to get your perspective.
1: Yeah. So, so we talked a little bit on the ML side of my thesis. The other is of course, always make tedious processes more efficient with or without ml right so when you think about the development process or the sre process or code scanning whatever like tedious things where humans have just accepted that they're involved if you can automate that i'm interested right and if ml is implied even better but automation right and that could be devops sre whatever data, <laughs> automation yeah. is, is a, a theme. And I think that has been increased because of COVID, because people now work distributed in a whole new way, much more <laughs> to a wider extent. And it, people have chosen to go back to their hometowns and do it from there because they can. So there's this asynchronic work process that needs to be supported in a better way. And what else is better to support them than a 24/7 service? Outsource everything to a service, a SaaS service, to do those tedious tasks where humans need to be involved, to not only unlock other people who are waiting p- for people, but also to relieve overworked teams. Like they, people doing tedious, repetitive tasks are not put to their best use necessarily. Engineers should solve hard problems like that. ML problems that I want them to go and innovate. Like let the let the repetitive tasks be outsourced to services. There's no, don't be stingy in your wallet there. You're gonna get 10 times more out of your team if you offload their stressful tasks that they don't even feel passionate about. And I think motivation is a key thing in this COVID land, the COVID era is like, how do you keep your teams excited? I think that's become harder. So why don't you enable them to be innovative again? Why don't you enable them to collaborate on other things than fixing that same old flaky test over and over again? You know, Outsource the, the things that aren't exciting and And then you will get ten times features out of them, you know, isn't
0: that crazy that that still <laughs> we still have to give that advice? I mean, I know how it happens. like the organization gets bigger and they just keep replicating, it, adding people to it. And pretty soon, what should be an automated process the customer cares nothing about, right? So you get the internal, then you got the external faqs should you should not have to call a customer support rep or a sales rep for features and benefits of anything that you have right and one of the things i was kind of excited about that i've just started to see a little bit is kind of the chat bots are fun and exciting and i think they're going to serve their thing but i've started to see some technologies now with the voice a voice bot if you will right where i don't want to text i maybe i just want to pick up the phone and call but I don't necessarily have to talk to a human, just you know, answer them to the question for me that I have and let me be on my merry way. And I think again, we go we're way too often in all or nothing, right? Well, I gotta have a human talk to every customer that calls. No, you probably don't, right? So I think it's exciting times and I think right, the folks that figure out how to take all those. Non-value-added tasks out of their entire organization are going to be so. One internally, right? The teams are going to be much happier, but you know the profitability is going to be much better because you're going to be a hell of a lot more efficient. So. Efficient,
1: yeah. So I I would recommend like don't be allergic to automation. Don't be stingy in your wallet to help streamline your organization. You're going to get tenfold back. That's and my advice.
0: As you, as you scale, right? It's it, it it's easier to scale a process. It's easier
1: to, to scale that. if you have a service doing it. You know, why not? And that actually you you brought up a good point. The, it's called conversational AI against my wishes, what you just mentioned. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a growing trend for sure. We've seen a couple a week coming in or something like that. And I, I just I'm just curious how that will compete with, you know, Alexa, Siri and others who has much more data available. So how do you how do you stick out? You really have to have data to do ml right? Yes, and they just eat up the data of the world right now. So how is yours going to be better?
0: It starts with the data. I mean get the data right, and you're going to win a lot more battles than you're gonna lose
1: but yeah. i'm 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 happy when I'm wrong. So please come challenge me on that. Like <laughs> if you have something that really will be very different than ml ears, and i I already had one past my path that piqued my my interest so interesting it, it, I can be. I can be convinced.
0: Yeah. Open mind, right? You hit
1: you hit another part there in that. Yeah. In that sense, you know, I'm not interested on the UI, you know, the or interface, right? If you can invent better on the back end, I think that's what what's more interesting to me. And that leads to my third piece of my thesis, is like never underestimate what a back end innovation can do. And I think this is like tightly connected with my air expertise. The first time I heard about Hadoop, I'm like, what is this? Like decoupling structure from data? What's that going to do? I didn't see it at once, but then like when I took a second look, I'm like, this is going to change the world. And it did. Like the whole big data movement and everything, applied machine learning in production wouldn't have happened if the distributed large data processing couldn't Scale cost efficiently, which Hadoop right. kind of enabled at the time, and then evolved other technologies from there. Right. So I think I think you should never underestimate backend innovation and then the evolution of such forward. You know, I'm I'm talking about the transition from MapReduce to Spark, and I see Spark hasn't solved all the problems of programming yet. Right. So, what's the next evolution after Spark? That's an interesting thought.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, again, our listeners should be paying attention to this as you're <laughs> thinking about your company and what you want to build and the problems you're solving. And you're, I think we're only scratching the surface of the opportunities in here. So I think the one thing I've been also harping since I spent almost my entire career in the B2B is the pandemic has basically shut the door on the slow transition to data. It just has, right? There is no <laughs> workaround anymore, right? It's, you know, I did kind of an unofficial poll on LinkedIn. I think 2% or no, 4% of the respondents said they want to go back to an office full time. So you're going to have to figure out how to make more effective. But, you know, I'm excited. I mean, I think you're in a prime position to be able to see who's going to come out of ahead on these types of things or at least set the early lead. But I think that's the modern. Organization is going to be automated, right? Take out the value, the non value add pieces and keep innovating and think beyond. Because if you don't, then, right, you go back to the history of time, like Gum Rewards, right? They didn't see, or Sears didn't see the, the catalog moving online to e commerce. And, you know, both are gone. I guess Sears is a real estate play right now. But I mean, history shows us if you're not innovating, continuing to look forward, you're going to get run over at some point. So,
1: no, I was thinking about the COVID thing again. Like you trigger something there. I, I think if we if we're gonna turn it into something positive, which I always try to do when you go through hardships, like it's a, it's a time of learning. And one positive thing I got out was, and many with me is like the the closeness to family and going back to like what really is important in the end, right? But if I stick with the tech and and career side of it, I think many people suffered hardships and many startups you know either got accelerated by it but uh, many also went went under right. and if i turn that into something positive it would be from hardship comes a lot of innovation people get creative because they have to and i think i think that's what i look forward to is this sprawl of of ideas and innovation coming out of this not so no good, good year of 2020, you know, I don't yeah. even want to mention it or think about <laughs> it, but you know, I, I think we, we can look forward. I hope we can look forward to new creativity because humans are resilient and they come back. And especially these brave entrepreneurs, they're not going to give up. They're going to come back twice as strong, you know? So I, I really look forward to this year of startup sprawl.
0: <laughs> and we're seeing it, right? Some of the data shows that in Q3, Q4, I'm, and I don't know where we're at trending in Q1. More companies were started in the last two quarters than you know by 10x what had been happening in pre-COVID. So people are finally now saying, "Hey, now's the time if I'm going to take the leap." You know, some of those are probably just side projects and may never go anywhere. But I do think we are entering a new age of folks you know, I I hate to use the word gig economy, because that's that that was one thing, I think, pre COVID, but I do think there's going to be a lot of free agents, you know, at a high end, right, that come together for certain projects and move on and I use the like the movie analogy right you got the production team you got the stunt doubles you got the actors (laughs) I'll do their own thing but for this movie they come together they build it and then they go on their way and then they get together for something else and so I think that's exciting right I mean it's not going to be comfortable for folks that like to work in the same place for 25 years doing the same thing but that's still there's still going to be those opportunities as well so I don't know I'm I'm fascinated where where it's heading and you know more of a glass half full than half empty and you know hopefully people do take advantage of it so I took us off topic a little bit and I know we're really <laughs> I'm really stretching our time so was there a, anything else on the thesis that you wanted to touch on before I get to my last question or anything else in general you'd love to to chat about before we we start to wind down
1: No I think I think one one sentence left on my thesis, but I think we covered it all. It's it's like, we mustn't forget the migration to cloud <laughs> that's going on. It's like so obvious, I almost forgot anything that helps. I, I mentioned it in the beginning, like you need from where data is generated, you need to get it into some kind of processing cloud, be it private or or public or hybrid or multi or whatever. I think that whole journey of from edge to somewhere or even on the edge or or in this many, many enterprise companies are migrating to cloud partially or fully. And there's a lot of optimization that can happen there, yeah. making it easier, more streamlined. But we already have some investments in, in our portfolio of companies in these areas, you know, meta on the edge and, and CloudNatics for the transition to cloud, be it private or public, you know, so... I think that's, of course, also very happening. Shouldn't be forgotten to be mentioned.
0: No, that's so good.
1: I'm so excited that I got to be here today and talk about my (laughs) my thoughts with you.
0: And I do, and I highly encourage the audience to listen and think about where the opportunities are in this space. That you can't carve out niche and other opportunities, but this is, if you're going to focus in the B2B world, pay attention to what Eva said here today, because this is, where the future is going, where the opportunities are, and there's going to be a lot of opportunities. So that's awesome. All right, before I let you go and we wrap up, the one question I ask everybody is, professionally or personally, what is one thing that you would highly recommend or what's top of mind for you these days?
1: Well, I have so many things to pick one. I think I'm going to pick one that I, I kind of felt this last month, right? Very much. Don't be afraid to jump into something that scares you a little bit. I think that's a good advice in general for growth, personal or career growth, but stay away from things you know you can do.
0: Yeah, I think it's such good advice, and I do believe that's the first. I mean, we're now probably close to 90 episodes, and no one's really talked about stretching yourself, right? There's, <laughs> um, it's so important, and you know, sometimes earlier in my career, I, I think I've done it accidentally, but now I'm de- definitely much more intentional about it. I mean, if you mm-hmm. would have asked me 90 episodes would I ever start a podcast? Hell no, <laughs> right? I didn't know anything <laughs> about this, and it's, you know, hitting record for the first time was you know intimidating, but now I love it because I get to talk to you know, folks like you. So yeah, I think that's really, really good advice. So, well, thank you so much for for spending some time with us today. I really do appreciate it. And I am serious about getting you back on for kind of a part two where we'll dig into you know, some of those big areas when companies are starting to transition. So I think we could have spent 45 minutes talking about those different areas. <laughs> yes. So if you're up for it, I'd love to get you back on the schedule. We'll have you come back and, and dig into that, because I think that is an inflection point for a lot of these startups. So
1: I'd love to be back on this show, Brett. You're a pleasure to chat with. I, I, I can't even think that this time has already passed. It was just fun. So please have me back. I'll, I'll be up for it anytime and keep up your inspiring pod.
0: Uh, I appreciate that. And lastly, if more folks want to learn more about you or connect with you, what is the best place for for folks to find you?
1: I'm on LinkedIn under my name, Eva Eva Nahari, and I'm on Twitter also under my name. And then, of course, uh, dnx.bc.
0: Well, again, thank you very much for sharing your knowledge. Good luck on the not so new venture anymore. Right? I mean, you're over a quarter <laughs> into it. So uh, <laughs> what? hit the ground running and you know, have a great rest of your day and we, we really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, Brett. Been a pleasure. All right, thanks. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.